Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Morning this morning to continue on uh, a verse which I've spoken about a number of times this year. I've mentioned it, I've read it, and I just sent something which we don't do very often as a church as well, is to slow down around sort of one phrase, one scripture, and really just press into that. But as we're continuing to fast, as we're continuing to seek the Lord's face, I'm just really sense God is wanting us to embrace this passage and and this message in Second Chronicles 29, I said at the beginning of the year that I, I feel God is calling us as a church. And just as a reminder, when I say calling us as a church, that doesn't mean me or Yaku or the leadership team. It doesn't mean some distant organization. It means you and the person sitting next to you and in front of you and behind you because that is a church. God's calling us to step in and specifically to step into His love we're going to see that in a moment, the knowledge, the power, the grace of His love, but also to step into purpose, to step into the reality that God has called us. And sort of together with that, this passage in Second Chronicles chapter 29, and the backstory here for those who have missed out perhaps or new here is that Hezekiah has just become king. He's a young man. And as he become, becomes king, he realizes that worship and temple worship is in complete disrepair. As a matter of fact, you can't even worship in the temple right now because the temple has become the storeroom. And even sort of gods carried away from conquests and just everything that didn't have a place where they could put it, they stored it literally in the temple. And the very first thing that he does when he becomes king is he cleans out the storeroom. He says, guys, this is a temple. And then he calls the priests, and we're going to speak about them in a moment. He calls them together, and he, he says to them in verse 11, My sons, do not neglect your duties any longer. The Lord has chosen you to stand in His presence, to minister to Him, and to lead the people in worship and present offerings to Him. The more word-for-word word translation, something like the ESV, says, My sons, do not now be negligent. For the Lord has chosen you to stand in His presence, to minister to Him, to be His ministers, and make offerings to Him. And so a couple of weeks ago, I spoke about the fact that we, and this is so hard for us to say, it's something that is a, many of us, are a spirit sort of kick against us if we're inclined in a certain way, is you and I sitting here are God's gift to man. We looked at Jacob, how he was God's gift to Laban. Spent some time talking about the fact that you are God's gift. Not you because you're so special. Not you because you're so amazing and everybody must bow down to you. You because you carry a reflection of the living God upon you. That God has placed within you something which is a gift to mankind. You are a steward of that and that as much as you are a steward of that which is in you, you are a steward of who you are, who God has made you to be. And so you are God's gift to man. And we started speaking about that. 
I want us to press in just a, a little bit more and look at sort of a, the first few lines, first few thoughts in this verse in a bit more detail today. And we're not going to get through all of it. And we'll do the, the second half in a, a couple of weeks' time. But I think the first thing that I really sense God is wanting us to embrace is the same way that Hezekiah said to these priests is, my son's speaking to a group of guys only, but I think it applies to us as, for those who are ladies here today as well. Do not be negligent. I'm going to touch on this in a moment, but it, it is so easy for us to begin to neglect the purposes of God upon our lives. Can I just also say two things, and most of us probably sway to one end of this pendulum, one extreme on the one extreme, we have that the purposes of God is all about me in the world out there. The other side is the pendulum is it's all about just the church and the collective and us doing it together. It's neither one or the other as much as it's both. See, God's purpose in your life is you being a good husband and a good wife. God's purpose is you being a good follower of Jesus. God's purpose is you being a good accountant or a good engineer, whatever he has called you to in that sense. God's purpose is you affecting change and bringing the kingdom of God within the sphere of your authority, wherever that might be. God's purpose is also us gathering here in the way we do today and in similar fashions and different dynamics and different environments. It's not one or the other. And I really sense God is wanting to in a, maybe jolt us, wake us up. Perhaps some of us, we're still stuck in arc mode, still stuck in survival mode, still stuck in lockdown mode. And I sense God is wanting just to begin to stir us and say, don't be negligent now. Now is not the time to be negligent, to neglect your purpose and your duties. Now there's something that you and I get to embrace. Now there's something that God wants to establish. I was so challenged by a ministry friend of ours who leads a, quite a significant church in the U.S. And as they came out of lockdown and their timelines and everything were a little bit different, the pastor called them in and he, he said to them, during lockdown, the enemy took some ground. During lockdown, there were areas of fear and anxiety and depression that entered into people's life. During lockdown, the enemy came and killed and steal and destroyed in so many lives. And as the U.S. opened up, he said, and we're not going to take time. This is the pastor. We're not going to take time in taking it back. And so many other churches sort of, and perhaps us as well, not rightly or wrongly, but had a bit of a, a slow uptake. They were like, from day one, we are going to be full systems go because the kingdom needs to advance. And I sense God is stirring that within us again, that there is a kingdom that he is calling us to step into for his name and for his sake. He's saying, don't be negligent. Let us be serious about the purposes of God upon our lives. And for each one of us, those look slightly different. Don't neglect your duties any longer. There are duties that God has called you to, and let us be serious about what they entail. The Lord has chosen you. 
spoke about that at length last week. I want to say that or two weeks ago. God has chosen you. I can't say that enough just in the season we're in. Too many of us doubt the fact that God has chosen me. Yes, God has chosen Gareth and Laura for youth at this time. But that doesn't mean he's only chosen Gareth and Laura. Every one of us, we are sitting here as you are sitting here. God has chosen you. He might not have chosen you for youth as he has chosen Gareth and Laura. Maybe he's chosen you to support them. Maybe he's chosen you for something completely different, but he has chosen you. And before he has chosen you for ministry, look what scripture says here. He has chosen you for four things. The first one is to stand in his presence. Going to look at that in a moment. God has chosen you to stand in his presence. I'm reading from the ESV. He has chosen you to minister to him. We're going to look at those two this morning. Want us to see that ministry to God and being his minister are different things. He's chosen us to stand in his presence. He's chosen us to minister to him, to be his ministers and to make offerings or burn incense to him. So let's look at that first one. You have been chosen to stand. Watch what Hebrews says about this. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, I'm going to pause there because it's important for us who haven't done Bible school perhaps to really get this, but what does it mean about a high priest? So in the Old Testament where Hezekiah, as an example, is speaking to these priests, we have this temple. And the temple is divided into a number of sections. There's the portal, there's outside, and there's some activity that happens there. Then there is the larger area, which is perhaps where we would be now today, just practically speaking. The temple wouldn't typically be the place where people gathered, just by the way, in the Old Testament. It wasn't largely big. It wasn't a place for a lot of people to gather, but it was a place where there were a number of rituals that took place. And the priests would enter into that place where the rituals took place. And there was a menorah, which is like a seven candle holder, candlestick. Some of us have seen the typical sort of a Jewish signal symbol. And there was a table with bread and there were... two or three other elements in. I don't want to get too much into that, but that was called the holy place. And all the priests could go in there and they could do their work in the holy place. Then there was a big curtain and behind the curtain was the most holy place. And in the most holy place was the Ark of the Covenant, which was a box, not very big, but sort of a box of roughly about this size, and inside of that box were a number of elements, and on top of it, there were two golden angels, and that box, and a, a thing called a mercy seat, which was like a, just a flat place of gold, plate of gold, and that represented the presence of God himself. And so God dwelt in the most holy place, and only once a year, on the Day of Atonement, could the high priest go into the most holy place. They could go into the holy place and they were meant to go into the holy place every day. The most holy place was just once a year. 
And so the book of Hebrews, he's speaking to Hebrews who understands all of these things and is referring to Jesus as the one who has come to be our high priest. And then it reminds us, and you would remember perhaps you that when Jesus was crucified, a number of things happened in the moment that he died. Firstly, it got dark. Secondly, there was an earthquake. So much so that the Roman soldiers who crucified him looked at one another and said, this was really the Son of God. What, this doesn't happen when people die. Darkness across the earth and a big earthquake. And in that moment when there was the earthquake, just like we've just had in Syria and Turkey, and we should pray for those nations and for those people, the veil, the curtain was torn in two from the earthquake. For the first time in history, the curtain had been torn, symbolizing and showing to us that suddenly there was access to the presence of the living God. You see, previously only the high priest could go on the day of atonement and he could make atonement for our souls. So on that mercy seat, that gold plate, he would take some blood and he would drop the blood of the offerings they'd made outside on the mercy seat. And that was a way of making atonement for our sins. When Jesus came, he fulfilled that role perfectly. It was his blood which was shed. And in him doing that, the veil, the separation between us and God was torn. And so that's sort of the background that the author to the Hebrews is writing to these people who understand these things intimately. So he says, so then, since we have a great high priest, that's Jesus, who has entered into heaven. So our high priest has not entered into the earthly holy place. He has entered into the eternal holy place, most holy place. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. For he faced all of the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. You have been chosen to stand in the presence of God. One of the biggest, the most liberating moments that ever happened in my life, and I, will be hap- and I believe will be in your life if it hasn't yet, is that moment that I realize I can stand before the presence of God. My guilt, my shame, it's washed away. I love the word that's used here. Let us do it boldly. Boldly doesn't mean sort of half-heartedly, um, Let me come into the presence of God. Yes, there's reverence. Yes, there's an understanding of God's holiness and His righteousness. Yes, there's a knowledge that sin cannot dwell in God's presence. But at the same time, there is a knowledge my sin is washed away. So I come with reverence. I come with respect. But I don't come half-hearted. I come fully committed. I come boldly. I am there in God's presence. You have been chosen to stand in His presence. And if there's one thing worth more than anything else that you and I have been chosen to is to be chosen, not only to stand in his presence gets better. I'm not going to, in Bible school, we obviously talk through all of these things in a lot of detail. We haven't only been called to stand in his presence. We have been chosen to carry his presence. His presence dwells within us and among us. 
And so the first thing that you and I have been chosen to do that I feel God is wanting just to emphasize upon us and it's part of us stepping into his love is the knowledge that we have been chosen to stand in his presence. You have been chosen to stand in his presence. And so I want to break the lie that might be in some of our minds that we cannot be in God's presence. We're too dirty. We are too sinful. We are too far from God. We've messed up too much. I want to break that lie now and say, as big as your sin is, as bad as it is, as evil as you perhaps may think yourself to be, with respect, the cross of Christ is stronger and bigger. And the blood of Jesus is more powerful to wash that sin away, to make atonement, to make you at one with God again. You have been chosen to stand in God's presence. And so that's the first duty that Hezekiah says to the priests. He says, don't be negligent about your duties. What are your duties? Well, your duty is to stand in God's presence. You and I have a duty to God to regularly stand in his presence. It's a privilege and it's a joy. There's also a duty element. So we can stand in his presence. You have been chosen to stand. But I believe not only have we been chosen to stand in here, we have also in his presence, we have also been chosen to stand in the world. And so as you come to a holy ground, I believe God is calling us as we take up purpose to step into the battleground. I want to encourage you, never ever go to the battleground if you haven't first been on holy ground. Always go to holy ground first before you go to the battleground. And so not only has God chosen you to stand, I believe he's wanting to stir something in our hearts that you and I would choose to stand. In Ephesians, Paul writes to this church, the end of a letter, and he ends it this way. He says, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Can I just quickly pause there? Some of us need to hear this. Maybe we've forgotten this. We are fighting. We, as the church, as followers of Jesus, are in a fight. Sometimes we forget that. We get dormant. We get sucked into our spaces of comfort and just okayness and our mundaneness of our day-to-day life that we forget the reality that we are fighting, that we are engaged in a spiritual fight. We get so tied up in my fight at work, my fight in my family, my fight for my career, my fight for my finances, my fight for whatever my next, my cell phone, my fight to keep my swimming pool blue, don't know if I'm the only one who's got that fight. We get so entangled in that fight that we miss the bigger picture that we are in a fight that is worth a lot more than a blue swimming pool. Please have a blue swimming pool. It looks good. It's my daughter's birthday party next week. We need a blue pool. Blue pools are important. 
But there's something so much more important that we are in a fight and we need to remind ourselves that we are in a fight. We need to remind ourselves sometimes when we go to work, I'm stepping into a war zone. Not a war zone about my career, not a war zone about my paycheck, a war zone about the kingdom and the purposes of God, a war zone about souls, a war zone about eternity, about heaven and hell, which are real. And so Paul says, we are fighting. But our fight is not against the people around us. Those aren't our enemies. Our our fight is against the spiritual forces in the heavenly places, a different translation calls it. So therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in a time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing. From you have been chosen to stand. Let us choose to stand as God has chosen us to stand. Some of us forget that we are in the fight and perhaps God wants to stir in your heart this morning, get in the fight. Maybe there's a fight going all around there and you're aware of the fight, but you're not in the fight. You're spectating the fight. You're hiding. You don't want the bullets coming close to you. And this morning, perhaps God is also saying to you, get in the fight because God has chosen you. Verse 14, stand your ground. Once again, this word stand putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Prayer is important. We must pray. We must pray regularly. It's one of the reasons why just in February we're praying together every Monday. Hopefully that's not the only time we're praying, but it's a time we can pray together collectively. Come and pray with us on Monday. We had a great time last week. I really do think you missed out if you weren't here. But there is something about our prayer because God has chosen you to pray. Part of our standing requires that we be willing to pray, as he says here, alert and persistent in your prayers for, sorry, before that, at all times and on every occasion. The verses before that, I just quickly want to just bring some clarity around that. Putting on the armor of the Spirit does not mean only I get up in the morning and I pray Ephesians 6 verse 14 to 17. God, I'm putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of righteousness. And so God, today as I step into this day, I clothe myself with the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace. I guess there's an element of value to that, but that's not what he is saying. He's saying, put on the belt of truth. The belt of truth isn't a prayer I prayed this morning. It's a lifestyle and action of committing myself to live truthfully, to hold on to the truth, the truth of the gospel, the truth of scripture, but the truth in every environment. Similarly, what is the body armor? It's God's righteousness. I live in righteousness. I understand that I am only made righteous by the blood of Jesus, but I live 
as far as within my means righteousness. And so he carries on the good news of the gospel. Similarly, the shield of faith. The shield of faith means I live a life of faith. When the fiery darts of the enemy come, I choose to believe in who Jesus is and what he has done and what he has said. And that's my shield of faith. Similarly, once again, importance of Bible school. The sword of the Spirit. Some of us need to learn how to, we need to go to a fencing class. We need to come to Bible school. We need to learn how one gets into a sword fight. I love the title that um, Lisa Bevere's one book, Fight Like a Girl. We need to learn to fight. Whether you're a guy or a girl, we need to learn to take the word of God. We need to know how the sword works. We need to put on salvation as a helmet. What keeps me from madness in this world? What keeps my brain sane and keeps me focused is the fact that I've been saved by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We hold on to that and we live it, but we're praying always. So not only have we been chosen to stand, I believe God wants us to choose to stand. To choose to stand in the midst of a perverse generation, a perverse world, he writes in Ephesians. We need to be able to stand in every circumstance, in every place where we go. It's a lifestyle of putting on the armor of God. You have been chosen to stand. Stand in his presence, but also to stand from his presence. To stand wherever you would go, wherever the Spirit would lead you, wherever your cars and your feet would take you. Tomorrow morning, you know you can stand and you can stand strong because you have been chosen to stand in his presence. And because I can stand in his presence, I can stand everywhere else. And secondly, you have been chosen to minister to him. Not only chosen to minister for him, to be his minister, we'll look at that next time, but you chosen to minister to him. Ministry literally means service, and the image here of ministering to God is sort of like a waiter waiting on and attending to him. Ministering to God was the domain of the priests. So if you think of what the priests did, the Levites, sometimes we think the Levites were the musicians. Some of the Levites were musicians. The Levites in the Old Testament did everything pertaining to the temple and to the work of God, to sacrifices, to offerings, all of those things that had to do around worship and temple worship. The Levites, the priests were in charge of that. But watch what he says here. I didn't even put it in my notes, but I think it's up on the screen there. He, that's Jesus, has made us a kingdom of priests for God, his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. So there is only one high priest who has passed through the veil. You and I cannot go on behalf of somebody else into the presence like the high priest could. When Jesus came, he abolished or actually he owned the ministry of high priesthood. And he established a new ministry. We call it the priesthood of all believers. We have all been made a kingdom into a kingdom where we are all priests. What does a priest do? A priest comes and he works in the temple in an Old Testament context. 
The priest would give attention to what needed to be done in and around the temple. And so spiritually, that translates to a couple of things. And it's important that we get these. We have been, it involves prayer, specifically intercession, praying for others. You see, the priests would spend their time up lifting up the people of Israel to God. Yes, I'm sure there would be a time where whoever is the priest goes and he happens to pray for himself and his family. But he would be praying for the people as a whole. He would be upholding them spiritually in prayer, praise, and in worship. They would be making music all the time, bringing offering to God. The interesting thing, as I read that in an Old Testament sense, which is so different to where we are now, and I'm not quite sure how it translates, but in an Old Testament, so much of the worship was so different to what we are doing because it was for God. In a New Testament sense, as we come and we worship here, much of our mind is we're bringing this to God, but I'm Sort of the band is playing, if I can use them as an example, because they're bringing worship to God. They're creating space for all of us to enter into worship. In an Old Testament sense, sometimes the band would just play with no one else around. And they would be worshiping to God as worship unto God. And that was part of the Old Testament. We have been called to that. We have been called, maybe not to the music part of it, but to the part, the lifestyle of all the time bringing worship to God. And praise and praise and worship are, are not the same thing. Praise is about proclaiming who God is and what God has done. Worship is about intimacy with God. Very simply put, praise is speaking about God or singing about God, and worship is singing to God. And so it's prayer, it's praise and worship. The third part spiritually that the priest would be responsible for is prophecy and prophetic acts. Yes, there would be prophets, and prophets were generally not priests in the Old Testament. They were distinct offices. But God has called us this place of prophecy, this place of speaking the purposes of God into being. The world has sort of twisted prophecy into prophecy being equated to fortune-telling. That's not what biblical prophecy is. Biblical prophecy is telling the purposes and the heart of God. It's speaking it into being. Sometimes prophecy is literally doing a prophetic act, which is what God is about to do. So I'm not fortune telling. I'm creating a space. In Amos, we read that God does nothing before he reveals his secret to his servant, the prophets. And the reason for that is it's the role of the prophet to speak it and to create it into being. See, when God has a plan, he chooses a man. When God has a plan, He uses a human to bring that plan to pass, to speak it into being, to prophesy it. That's why we have all of these Old Testament prophets prophesying the purposes of God because that's the way God has purposed it to be. God has chosen you as a priest to minister to Him. You see, all of these things here, we're doing them to God. We're praying intercession to God. We're bringing worship to God. We're bringing prophecy to God. We're waiting on Him, we're hearing from Him, and we're doing it to Him. There's no audience, there aren't other people, perhaps at times we're doing it collectively, but the heart isn't to do it for the sake of others. The heart is we're doing it because God has chosen 
and given us this duty, this responsibility, this function within his kingdom. So spiritually, those would be many of the functions that the priests would be responsible for. Practically, they would be responsible for caring for his house. Every day, bringing in new showbread, making sure that the candles never go out. Anyone who's ever burnt a candle, you know the candle only lasts so long and the candle needs to be replaced. So daily, they would be attending to those things. I honestly believe that's part of what God has chosen us. He has chosen us to minister to him including the practical things around his house. Being a small group host, creating a meal for the people coming to small group, serving coffee on a Sunday, serving at the sound desk. Those would be part of what God has called us to do. Great example of modern day priests in a New Testament sense, sort of in this changeover from old to new is Jesus in Gethsemane. And he takes his 11 disciples, because we know at that stage um, Judas was with the, um, with the army, with the garrison that was going to arrest Jesus. And Jesus takes the 11 with him, and then he takes the three, Peter, James, and John. And he says, you guys wait over here while I go and wrestle over there. But don't just wait, pray. That was an invitation to minister to him. Their prayer was changing what he was going through. And so God has chosen you to minister to him. He has chosen you to stand in his presence. He has chosen you to minister to him. A couple of weeks' time, we'll look at what it means to be his minister, because that's different. That means we're not stepping out and we're being his servant. We're bringing his purposes to pass. We're stepping out. We're witnessing all of those things. That's his minister. And we're bringing offerings. But I want us for just this morning, and as we continue to pray, continue to fast, I actually had a really good question in here, which I missed in my notes. It's in this prayer and in this fast to wrestle with this question. God, what are the things that you have chosen me for? God, what does it look like for me to embrace that you have chosen me to stand in your presence? What does it look like, God, for me when you have chosen me to stand from your presence? What does it look like in my day-to-day life, God? What are the things, God, that you have placed within me that only I can bring to my family? that only I can bring to our community, that only I can bring to my city. God, what are those things that you have placed within me? God, you have chosen me to stand. And you have chosen me to minister to you. So as we're fasting and as we are praying, let's trust God to press into that, that we are chosen. We are chosen individually, we are chosen collectively, that Gareth and Laura aren't just doing a nice idea thing when they step out to reach their youth, but they're embracing, God, you've chosen us to reach the city. God, there are schools, high schools all around. As we're going to begin to step back onto university campus again, after we're speaking about it with some people the other day, it's become fortress UP. It's almost impossible just to get onto the premises there if you're not a student anymore. God has a purpose for those students. Was at a leaders meeting with 15 or 20 or whatever, maybe even more church leaders involved on campus in the week. 
And the reality is amongst all of those church leaders, if we're totally honest with ourselves, not even 10% of the university students at the moment would be in our churches, being discipled, following Christ. And so as we're stepping into that, we're not just stepping into that because it's a nice idea and because we're bored and we don't have anything to do with our time. We're stepping in because God has chosen us. Not exclusively. He's chosen us to take hands with the rest of the body of Christ, but He has chosen us. He has chosen you. That we're not here by accident, that there is a purpose that should be stirring in every one of our hearts. That's what I was saying at the beginning. I sense God wants us to step into His love. Firstly, but have that love compel us to step into purpose for His name and for His sake. And so they're not going to be giving up their time, their prayer, their energy, their tears, just because it's a nice idea, but because there's an understanding. God, you've got a purpose. There are lives at stake, Lord. There are young people's destinies at stake here. And God, we want to speak into that. We want to be into that, be in that. So we want to extend our hand and we say, Jesus, I have no idea why, but you chose us. So let's go. I have no idea why, Jesus, probably not the right guy, except you chose me, so now I am the right guy. I am the right girl. My company can't be the same after I've left. These people can't still be unaware of the truth and unloved and untouched by the grace of God because I'm here and I'm a carrier of the presence of God. So God, how do I bring the presence of God into this space and into this environment? God, you have chosen me for this. So let me do this. Can we stand? I would love for us to pray together. And so Jesus, this morning, Lord, we're encouraged, encouraged, but we're challenged, Lord. Lord, that you have chosen us. So many things in our mind want to say, you shouldn't have chosen us. You should have chosen someone or something else, God, but you didn't. God, you chose us. And so, Lord, we surrender to that choosing right now. Perhaps you're standing here and you know that you've never surrendered to God's choosing. You've fought against it, kicked against it. I'm not talking about salvation here. But there have been lies in your mind. Perhaps a teacher who told you that if you ever accomplished anything, they would eat their hat. You will never amount to anything. And that lie has taken root in your heart and it's caused you to kick against the idea that God has chosen you. This morning, God wants to come and rip out those lies, that weed. He wants to come and tear it apart. He wants to set you free because God has chosen you and he wants to break the hold that that chain has formed upon you. While our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, I just want to ask, if that's you, can you just slip up your hand just where you are? Just acknowledge, say, God, I need to surrender to your choosing in my life. I need to surrender, God. Surrender the fighting, surrender the arguments. It's like Paul used to do that. And then Jesus knocked him off a horse and he said, Paul, it is hard for you to kick against the goads, the cattle prongs. Paul, I'm moving in your life. You've got to surrender to my choosing. So Jesus, this morning, we surrender to your choosing, Lord God.
Lord, that you have chosen us to stand. We embrace standing in your presence, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, that you tore the veil, that you made a way that we can stand in your presence, not because we're good, not because we've accomplished anything or achieved, not because of anything in ourselves, Lord. The only reason we get to stand in your presence, Jesus, is because you tore the veil, because your blood was enough. So we receive that instruction, God, and we boldly want to come to your presence so we can live from your presence, Lord. We want to come to holy ground before we go to any battleground, Lord, and know that you have chosen us and we can boldly come, Lord. Lord, we choose again to get in the fight. We choose to stand not only in your presence, but to also stand in the world, Lord. To having done all to stand, we stand therefore, Lord. We gird ourselves. We want to live lives, Lord, girded with your armor so that we can fight against the powers and the principalities, the rulers of high places, Lord Jesus. We want to see the kingdom of darkness take a knock back every morning and every day, Lord. When we wake up in the morning, the kingdom of darkness should tremble because we are awake, Lord God. And we're taking strides forward for your name. And Lord, we acknowledge that you have chosen us to minister to you. And so this morning, we present ourselves, Lord, not only as carriers of the gospel, not as ministers to the world, Lord God, not as servants outside, Lord, but as servants to you, to wait on you and to minister to you, to engage in prayer, Lord God, and praise and worship and prophecy for no other reason than doing it for you, Lord. We step into that because you, have chosen us. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Christian Church. We believe that you enjoyed your time with us, establishing God's kingdom and His glory in your life. For more info, call us on 012-362-1363. Email us, pretoria at shofaronline.org. Browse our website, www.shofaronline.org or like us on facebook.com forward slash Pretoria.